Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Would the Smart Party Do? Uh, it's me and Baz, but we've also got a special guest this time as well, haven't we, Baz? Uh, I think so. I don't know his name. What's he calling himself these days? <laughs> I think it's Chris McDowell he's going under. Oh, the, um, it, it gave me a shock to hear my name correct. <laughs> <laughs> it gave me a shock to say it correctly. I've never done that before. <laughs> Sorry, Chris, for many years we, we called you McDonough, McDonough, all kinds of things. I expected nothing worse has, it's fine. <laughs> I think that's the thing catching on. One of our loyal listeners did point out that his, his son now wants to be called Jazz. Ah, <laughs> nice. podcast. So it's, um, it's the future, if you're it's a guy end of gaming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Chris, you are the author of Into the Odd. Yes, that's right which we've reviewed some time ago. If uh, loyal listeners want to scan their eyes back across the back catalogue, yeah, you'll see that we did a walkthrough and we've done an actual play game. And also, we spoke to you last at Dragon Meet, probably nearly two years ago now, along with David Black. But we thought it was about time we got you on, because upcoming soon, not too far away, you've got an updated version called uh, Electric Bastion Land, I believe. <laughs> did you have to read that off a piece of paper just there? <laughs> no, it's an electronic PDF. <laughs> Because yes. all the things with names, I wanted to make sure I got it right. I thought if I just do it off the top of my head and get it wrong, you'll never let it down. So, yes, so yeah, um, yeah. Tell the, the follow up to it, follow up to Into the Odd. Um, it's a self-contained uh, game, so it's it's essentially the same rules as Into the Odd. But I wanted to do something that was uh, just a slightly different take on it. So, um, so for those not familiar with Into the Odd, um, the idea is um, similar in that you are desperate treasure hunters. Um, in an odd world. Um, it's based in the city of Bastion. It's the only city that matters, and it's moving into sort of the electric age, hence the electric Bastion land, um, whereas Into the Odd had a bit more of a sort of industrial revolution sort of uh, sort of setting. Um, so, yeah, you start with a character with a failed career and £10,000 in debt. So it's almost <laughs> not even a fantasy game, really. It's, um... It feels like my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, the, the book itself is sort of whereas into the odd was the sort of thing you could slip into um into a back pocket almost. Um, this uh, the rules are still on one spread, but um, it's going to be quite a big book full of a hundred different failed careers, um, advice on running the uh, running the world, creating content for the world, and just general stuff that people wanted um, after into the odd. So is this is the driver for this really? Um that people wanted lots more stuff. Because I think, as you've mentioned, one of the sort of advantages of the original product was it was like really uh, small pick-up and play and everything you needed in it. Uh, there's some implied setting in the game. I think that's one of the things that me and Baz really liked. It wasn't until you rolled on tables and things like that that the setting came out. Have you had a bit of a hubbub for people going like, we just want more of that stuff? Or is this something that you had lots of ideas boiling in your head and you need to get them out? So essentially what I... I, what I tend to do when I'm trying to think of what to write next is I'm sort of a big believer in design what you want to have yourself. So it's basically the book that I wanted. So with Into the Odd, you you sort of rolled your character up very quickly and you got one of, uh, I think there were 60 starter packages, uh, which were just sort of two or three items that gave you a bit of an idea about your character. And I just wanted to do a different take on that where it's still very quick and simple, but you just got a little bit more meat on the bones of your character. So not not mechanically speaking, but you just get a bit more of a a bit more of a specific background for your character. Um, very much inspired by sort of warmer fantasy role play careers, but mm. obviously taken up to the next sort of level. Really, it's some quite ridiculous ones in there. 
take them down to the next level more like <laughs> yeah pretty much <clears throat> I think some of the Warhammer careers would be like a lap of luxury compared to what you've got in here oh definitely I mean the the, the amount of um so the obvious thing is when everyone talks about Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay they talk about the small but vicious dog mm-hmm. um there are a lot of animals that are a an x but y animal Right. So I think there's like a like a vicious but disloyal monkey and and so on. It's a great template for a starting pet, <laughs> and also a starting character. You can be a small vicious dog, can't you? Oh yeah, there is a dog in there. Yes, yeah. so you might end up being a dog. Uh, you might end up being a pack of urchins, um, where each of your hit points represents one street urchin. I've um, nice. had that one come up quite recently. Um, yeah, there's all sorts. Um, I mean, I was going to suggest with you guys that we sort of roll up a couple of characters to to demonstrate if you're up for that. Yeah, let's do it. I think before um, before we get into the nuts and bolts, not that there's much in the way of nuts and bolts, I suppose, is there? Because we're going to demonstrate how quick this is. Um, can, I, can I put it to you, Chris, that this is not a D&D clone? <laughs> um, yeah, so the, the, whole, the whole sort of in-joke with Into the Odd was that the ODD of Odd was sort of OD&D. Um, but Whereas it originally was sort of semi-compatible with sort of first, well, not, not even first edition, original D and D, it sort of very quickly turned into something different. But the 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 odd word just kind of stayed there. And yeah, I think it's fair to say that yeah, it's, it's definitely diverged from D and D in pretty much every way now. Mm. Um, but I, th- I think it's a familiar enough in terms of you know you've got your strength, dexterity, charisma, you've got your HP, although they're slightly different. But um, but yeah, it's definitely moved away. Sure. I mean, setting-wise. Um, oh, setting-wise, definitely. Difficult to sum up. I mean, it, you know, Into the Odd had its own setting as Gas said, it was very much implied. A bit more at the forefront now, I think. But, um, yeah, this is not It's not Eberron, is it? Or Forgotten Realms? No. And I, I wanted to stick to the whole thing, like like you sort of noticed with Into the Odd, was um, I sort of had a big... I had a sort of a few one-line mantras to remember at the, at the top of the document when I was writing this. And one of them was... Um, uh, no fluff, basically. So if there's something I wanted to put in there, like a cool idea for the setting, the last thing I want to do is put that in like a paragraph of text. Um, I want to put it in, a, sneak it into a table somewhere or into one of the character careers or into the advice. Um, yeah, so in theory, other than a quick bit of prose at the start, um, everything is in the form of either three bullet points underneath the title mm-hmm. um, or a procedure or hidden in one of the character uh, backgrounds themselves. And yeah, the, the setting itself is pretty, like I say, the, the, the key difference here is we're moving into sort of the electric age. So it's more inspired by early 20th century, really, mm-hmm. than sort of uh, medieval fantasy, definitely. So the, a question we quite often ask people, um, which I don't know whether there's an answer to or not, is, is what is OSR? But this doesn't feel like it is OSR, like a lot of other games are. I don't know, maybe the original Into the Odd felt a bit more like that. Um, although there's some of the names in the front of the book that sort of hark back to people who would have been considered part of an OSR movement. But just quickly before we get into the, the book, what do you think of the, the sort of OSR brand? And is is your work anything to do with it? Or, you know, do you care? Is it even a thing anymore? I think it's it's certainly less of a thing now. I think certainly with the collapse of Google+, Plus. I think that was kind of the the hub for OSR. So I think everybody has had to go elsewhere. Mm. Um, so so one of the places is um, I, I run an OSR Discord server, right. um, which has sort of two thousand people. So there's there's still a um, there's still a sizable amount of people that I think want to identify with that OSR label. 
Mm. But the the sort of games I'm seeing come out under that sort of under that umbrella, uh, much. It, it, I think for a few years we've been saying there's more variation within the OSR, but I think it's it's happening a lot more now. So Mothership is a really good example mm. uh, by Sean McCoy, and yeah. um, that is um, you know recently won swept the Ennies, and I think he would probably identify that as an OSR game. But when you look through it, it's there's not really much in the way of what you you would think of something something like um, uh, swords and swords and wizardry or something that's your sort of classic retro clone OSR. Yeah, sort of sort of worlds apart from that. So in terms of what I'm writing, I think there's there's a lot of stuff that I like about there's a lot of stuff I like about gaming that falls under that OSR label. That kind of sort of do it yourself attitude and the sort of focus on problem solving and not getting too bogged down with mechanics. But I think the definition is starting to perhaps lose a bit of a become a, lose a bit of relevance, right? So I've, I'll give you a very wishy washy answer there. That's, I think that's I, I, what I, everybody I, does. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I think I would still, I would still, I still find the label useful for certain things. So if I, if I say it's an OSR game, some people will know what that means. Um, but I think it's probably going to become less relevant as we go on. Sure. Let's do characters. So if you guys have got your D6s, I know you were struggling to find some earlier. I went to a specialist game shop and they managed to provide me some, so that's all right. Lovely. I'd, it turned out I'd already looted Monopoly and Cluedo twice before. <laughs> that's pretty yes, yeah. D20s, D12s and really weird things. <laughs> so what I'm going to do is um, I quite like to time how, how quickly we can do two characters. Are we on the clock? Oh, my God. Well, I'm, I'm I'm reaching for a stopwatch now. Yeah, this is films like Saturday Morning Kitchen or something, and we've only got like this is it. It's like the omelette test, yeah. Forty seconds <laughs> like an omelette. We both um, break eggs. <laughs> so essentially, just before we start rolling it, all you're doing is you're rolling three d six down the line for strength, dexterity, and charisma. Okay. And then you are also rolling d six for HP, which is hit protection, and d six for the number of pounds that you have in your pocket. Okay. So that's going to be easy peasy. Right. You ready? Go for it. Hang on. I've written charisma yet. Hang on. Right. Okay. Yeah. So if you roll them all, I'll, I'll take them off you in in total at the end, if you like. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm rolling now. I'm rolling. Okay. Let's go in there. God, this character's not long for this one. I can tell I'm, I'm not strong. So I'm not. Much there's there's potential in every character. Don't worry. I'm, I'm not dexterous. <laughs> There's a potential to get murdered in this character. <laughs> and he, God, he's poor as anything as well. Oh, God. So I'm taking that to mean that, Gaz, you are done first. Done. Yeah. So, Gaz, give me your strength, dex, charisma. My strength, dex, charisma are 11, 7, and 7. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and yeah. you're... Um, so the the way that this works is it's kind of similar to Into the Odd, where once you're, once you're done rolling, you're basically done with your character for the most part. Um, so there's a kind of matrix at the front of the book that has um, 94 different results that could come up for your character that's going to represent your failed career. So you cross-reference your highest ability score against your lowest. So you've got a high score of 11, mm-hmm. a low score of 7, and that tells me you've got career number 20 is your failed career. So I will now flick to number 20. Um, and, oh, well, as luck would have it, you are an urchin pack. <laughs> Clinging together is your only hope for survival. That stays the urgent pack to me. Yeah, so this is one of the few um, careers that has a special note next to it. And the special is you might be more than one person, but you control them all. Cool. So you get a couple of items sort of for free. So you get some pocket knives, which will do D6 damage. 
and you get some rocks, which will do D4 damage. <laughs> and then for each of the fail careers, um, there are two questions that get answered based on what you rolled for your HP and what you rolled for your starting money. So for your money, um, the question is, what binds you together? So how much money did you start with? One whole pound. One pound. Wow. So the answer to what binds you together is you have shared ownership of a child's musket. Nice. Which does D6 damage, but is bulky. <laughs> well, it takes two of us to grab all of it. <laughs> I mean, that's how that works. And then more interestingly, um, your HP will tell you um, how many are how many of you are there? There are three hit points and presumably three blocks or girls or whatever. Yeah, so there are three, each with one HP, one blind, one deaf, one mute. <laughs> Amazing. So you've basically rolled just about the strangest character you can get there. That's a, a, a good a good example of that side of the spectrum. Indeed. Doesn't get much weirder than that. But uh, Baz, let's see if you can outdo him. Okay. Uh, strength 11, dex 10, charisma 12. So you've got, an, you've got quite a boring set of ability, boring Thank set of chords there. Uh, yeah, I tried hard. Cheers. Yeah. So <laughs> the idea is I've tried to make the more boring uh, results have more interesting careers. Um, But but we'll see whether that's worked out because, you know, I'm on the spot here. So if your highest ability score is 12 and your lowest ability score is 10, that tells me you've got career number 32. Mm -hmm. So if I go to 32, I can see that your failed career that forced you to become a treasure hunter. (laughs) (laughs) When I said that uh, Gaz had the weirdest one. All right. uh, You have got the mockery. Okay. (laughs) So a mockery is an imitation of life in wood, clay and felt. You don't need to eat, drink, sleep, or love, but you still feel the drives. Wow. So you are essentially a Muppet. A Muppet? That's really cool. <laughs> See, I've been, I've been telling you this for years. <laughs> so believe it or not, there are some more mundane careers in here, but yeah, you are essentially a Muppet. Um, so you get a hidden knife, which does D6 damage, and three mock bombs, which do D8 damage with a small blast. So your questions. Okay. Really sarcastic rejoinders that make people quail in fear. Yeah, yeah. So your um, your questions are, uh, what do you have a theatrical flair for? And that's going to be answered by your number of pounds. I have two pounds. So you have a theatrical flair for mechanical workings. Good to know. And what type of mockery are you? So how many HP do you have? I have one hit protection. You are a mock fox. So you can take any instrument. I'm the robot Basil Brush. I was just going to say that. <laughs> yeah, so you're like... It's a bunch of kids and Basil Brush. <laughs> yeah, so that's... Um, you certainly got a colourful pair of characters there. Oh, but I can get an instrument. That means I'm a bard. I'm really happy with that. Yeah, Basil Brush the bard. Right. So, um, so yeah, you've definitely got some of the more unusual ones there. <laughs> Believe it or not, there are adult humans available as characters. Yeah, whatever. But um, oh yeah, so I didn't actually considering we've been going pretty slow. I've just stopped the clock on five minutes. Oh, okay. And we're and we're ready to go. And we were That's taking it. our time with that as well, weren't we? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And when your character says "boom, boom," I shoot my musket. I think that way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> when my character says "boom, boom," one of you doesn't hear that. <laughs> 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 and one of them says who said that and yeah it's, uh, <laughs> the scenario is right in itself so the idea with these fail careers is also that you can um they're sort of it's it is it is something you use during character creation but it's something you can just flick to a random page to and get get a bit of flavor of the setting 
Mm. Um, so you know, you go to any page, and there's all there's all these sort of uh, bits of information that could potentially spark ideas for for your game as well. What's the bit um, I've got to my page now? Because all of this is presented across two pages, isn't it? Yeah, so it's a big two-page spread. There's a big gap where the fantastic art's going to go from Luca, but um, but yeah, so you've got it all on one page, one two-page spread. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of little bits on there about being the youngest player and uh-huh, yes, and the debt holder and who you own a debt to. I think this could be quite important. So which of you two is the youngest player? Well, you know, each your character because there's children and a mechanical fox. We <laughs> go with us too. It's, it's player, unfortunately. So uh, I should dodge that question. <laughs> I, I am definitely younger by some margin. I'm in a different decade than Bass. Oh, wow. it, it is actually some margin. Thanks for pointing that out. Well, I, I didn't want to. Didn't want to say, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, if you are the youngest player, uh, yeah, this because essentially as a group you start off ten thousand pounds in debt. Yeah. So you've got sort of a handful of pounds in your pocket, which is normally enough to buy a sandwich of variable quality, depending on how much you get. Um, you know, it's roughly similar to what a pound is worth nowadays. Um, so £10,000 in debt, and the youngest player determines who you owe that debt to. So it's another little bit of kind of world building. So if you, uh, the mockery uh, on their page, if you are the youngest player, you owe the debt to the Stamp Appreciation Society. Nice. So you owe backdated subscription fees, but you share ownership of a worthless postage stamp collection. That's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. Unfortunately, because I'm the youngest... We're all hooked on sugar, and if we go a day without eating something very sweet, we are deprived, which is presumably some kind of condition. We'll find out about later. Ah, so is that that is that what we would have had if it was yours? Yes. Ah, no, yeah, I'm looking at the wrong one. Absolutely. Yeah. So forget. Sorry, we'll tell you how your game works. No, no, forget the stamp collection. Yeah, because you've actually got a much worse one here. So, (laughs) (laughs) so you owe money to Dream Slop Sweet and Gruel. Um, there are a lot of entries about gruel in this book, I've since realized. Um, yeah, you're all hooked on sugar. So you, if you go a day without eating something very sweet, you are deprived. So being deprived essentially means you can't regain your HP, which is, <laughs> which is pretty bad. Seems we've only got one each. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you can't, being deprived is, is, uh, is very, very bad. So you want to make sure you, you get hold of some sweets pretty quickly. Cool. So I think Gaz probably shares my nerves about our ability to go and recover this debt on adventures and stuff. We yeah. seem quite fragile. Um, so how does it work if we if we go on an adventure? Uh, what mechanically is going to stop us having to do this process again in about three minutes? <laughs> so a lot of people, when they when they look at their character and when they sort of first look at the rules of Into the Art or Electric Bastion Land, they think it's a super lethal game. Mm-hmm. Um, because the one thing that is definitely missing from D&D is uh, there's no rolling to hit. You just roll your damage straight away. Mm-hmm. So, for, for instance, if you had your child's musket, I think that was D6 damage. That's right. Um, so you would just roll D6 damage, and that's how much damage you cause to whoever you are attacking. Um, damage comes off the target's HP, first of all. And um, if you just take HP damage and you still got HP left, then you're fine. And HP comes back really quickly. If you just have a short rest between combats, uh, your HP just comes back straight away with a bit of a breather and a drink. Mm-hmm. However, if you run out of HP, any extra damage goes off your strength score. And then you also have to roll um, a strength save. So you're rolling D20 under your strength. And if you fail that, then you are uh, basically down and out and potentially dying. But okay. it's 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 quite easy to get knocked down and get to the point of dying, but as as long as there's someone around to help you or you are able to run away, you're 
you're you're, you're not that fragile, I don't think. I, I don't see many deaths. Maybe one death every other session, maybe for new players, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't see as that. Which you see is quite generous. Sounds about okay. right. Yeah. 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 And uh, the, one of the changes from uh, Into the Odd uh, is in how you gain HP as well. So you in Into the Odd, you sort of got more HP after you survived an expedition. But um, in Electro Bastion, one of the additions is uh, you get scars. So if you get taken to exactly zero HP, um, then you are going to take a special scar, which is essentially a critical injury of sorts, um, that's going to be pretty permanent. But there's a good chance that you will get extra HP as a result of that scar. So you sort of get tougher by getting scarred, essentially. Cool. Right. So in your the book, as it stands at the moment, you've generously let me and Gaz have what you've got so far. It's pushing 300 pages, but actually 200 pages of that is these character sprints. Yes. So is it still a short game? It feels like it to me. I, I read it from cover to cover today without going through every table and every option, obviously, but... I feel like I've got a really good handle on it in a single sitting of reading, which is important to me. Um, does it, but can you stand back and see what it's like to look at it with new eyes, or have you just read it too many times now? What's it look like to you? <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting getting new people to read it, especially people that are sort of brand new to RPGs, because I really want this to be something that potentially, if you've played maybe a bit of D&D or you're sort of familiar with it, you could pick it up and run a game of this. And um, yeah, the, the, rule, the rules for playing the game they fit on a two-page spread, but really, if you're a player, you don't really need to read that. Mm. I mean, in, in explaining how damage works to you, I've basically explained the whole game anyway, in terms <laughs> of what the mechanics that a player needs to know. You need to know that, and you need to know that if I say, roll a dexterity save, you're trying to roll under your dexterity on a d20. And that's that. they're essentially the two mechanics that you're going to be dealing with as a player. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything else that's on here, on the playing the game two-page spread, is is really for you know, for the referee to be reading. Mm. Um, and same with the, in terms of running the game, rather than create a load of content, sort of pre-made content, like how, how I had the pre-made dungeon in Into the Odd, which I'm I'm really glad that I put in there. What I wanted to do in this one was make it easier for people to create their own content. Mm-hmm. So you've got a very sort of procedural system for creating a section of Bastion or creating a section of the underground that runs underneath Bastion or creating a wilderness area. It's it's all done in sort of bullet point process um, so that anyone can sort of pick it up and just look at a two-page spread and do some game prep rather than having to flick through a you know a, the equivalent of a DMG. Yeah, I think it's um it's got a nice feel to it in terms of having the what what should I do to run this game? And then there's just a couple of pages that say follow these steps, <laughs> basically. Yeah, yeah. And um, it, it mentions like principles in there in the text as well, which is something you said you try to follow. So is this partly you trying to uh, impart the way you play games to other people via the medium of your game text? Yeah, I mean, really, I think what with with the so for each section of the world, so for the for Bastion, for the underground, and for Deep Country, there is um, a two page spread on understanding that section a two-page spread on running, uh, sorry, drawing, preparing for that session, so drawing a map, and then a two-page spread for actually running that bit of the world. And I kind of wanted each one to function a bit like a GM screen. Right. So it's more like there for, you've got it in front of you, you've got a million other things to be thinking about while you're at the table running the game. Sometimes you just need to look down and glance and see, oh, there's a section here on travel in deep country, and it's just three bullet points. So if you're thinking, right, they want to travel from one part of deep country to another, 
you can look at this section and immediately just scan three things rather than having to stop the game and you know pour through a paragraph of text and it, it could be that some people find that easier but i i always find bullet points much easier to sort of to sort of remember and especially if you're trying to remember three things i try to get each section of the world narrowed down to three principles like you said mm-hmm. and if you can sort of remember them you can kind of everything leads back to those really yeah one of my favorite things in this chris um is the people are everything section uh, where you've got a principle there and then you've tied it into three little bullet points and then expanded upon those. It's a really nice little essay that I think I think any game could use it. And it, it, it made me realise by the time I got versus the end of the game, you haven't really said what anything looks like in the game up till then. You've not described what, what the city looks like, what the weather looks like. It's all about if you want any information from your GM in this game, it's going to be presented to you through the voice of a person. I think that's a really clever idea. Yeah, cheers. But um, yeah, so the, the, in terms of the, the sort of look of the city, that's why I think the art is going to be great because, you know, there's no better way to get the setting across than the art. I think no matter how good your words are, if you think about things like Planescape, when people think about Planescape, they think about that art. Mm. And, um, you know, it just evokes evokes a feeling so much better than I think words can. Um, so, which is a shame because I can't draw for the life of me. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, in terms of um, trying, it's 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 getting a fine line because I want each bit of the world to be sort of open enough that you can make it your own. So, your version of Bastion or your version of Deep Country would be different to mine, or or someone who lives in New York, or someone who lives in LA, or someone who lives in Sydney. Um, they'd all be very different versions of a city. But by just having three principles, so like the, for Bastion, the three principles are everything is here, everything is complicated, and everything is shared. Sort of immediately, if you sort of dig deeper into them, it tells you a bit about that city and sort of gives you enough to make it specific, but leaves it open enough to be to be yours, really. Hmm. Yeah. So could, could you expand on the idea of um, of how important people are in the game then? So Yeah, so the, the people are everything. Come up with ideas for a lot of NPCs. Should I be worried about that? Well, the the, the whole people are everything um, section about that's uh, that's in the addendum, which is sort of like a collection of uh, essays that sort of some of them are based on blog posts that I've done. Some of them are new. But the idea with that is I think characters are characters are always, I think, one of the more memorable bits of your game. Mm. I think you can go to town describing a lush scene or environment or this place that you've imagined, but in my experience, players will remember that character that you gave a stupid voice to and was really annoying or, or they really loved or reminded them of someone or or someone they kept wanting to go back and see. I think people will remember that. And in terms of creating um, characters, that's why I think having the, the setting almost presented through your failed careers mm. sort of carries that across because often if I want an NPC, I'll just kind of flick to a random section and I've opened it up and I can see, oh, rural tax collector. And even if I don't use that failed career, I've got sample names, I've got things that they might have. So I can see he might have a um, a mock ferret for company. He's got a book of simple country jokes. Uh, he hates fashionable clothes. And, you know, you can apply that to any character. It doesn't have to be this specific one. Um, and in the same way that I've sort of got to focus on creating your own uh, areas to explore um this rather than have a big set list of npcs and a big set list of monsters um i've got sort of two page spreads for there's a two page spread for people that sort of gives you 
a, a procedure essentially for creating a character. Mm. So giving them their drives, giving them their sort of memorable characteristics and it's it's nothing individually groundbreaking in any one of those little bits, but I think just having it all on one spread means that when you need that character, you can just immediately leap to that two page spread and uh, and sort of roll roll a, roll a few dice, get a few ideas, and uh, and you've got a character. Is there anything that's? I mean, would you encourage players? to be looking at that kind of stuff as well. We'll be player facing. I mean, one of the things uh, I ran for the guys recently was some Savage Worlds in a kind of cyberpunky setting in Neo Tokyo, but told them virtually nothing about it and then just relied on the players coming up with stuff, which thankfully with good players they do. But I'm thinking for players who perhaps aren't quite as, um, who don't know what they're supposed to say or are just short on ideas sometimes, uh, would you also have copies of this book for players to kind of dive into to come up with ideas of how they might populate some of the people that are in the world or that kind of stuff? I'm not sure. I think in my experience, because my experience is always kind of based on the most of the people that I play with, um, a good a good half of them will be people who haven't really played much in the way of RPGs before. Mm-hmm. So it will be either with friends who sort of play very occasionally when I show up with the game or um, I sort of go to a local club here in Manchester and um, more often than not, if I'm we're in a game, I'll get sort of half the table will be people who are brand new and just want to come in and try it out. Right. Um, and for those kind of people, I think, I think it's, I wouldn't like to sort of push a book of this size in front of them and say, this is like the, the, the cost of entry <laughs> is for you to have this book. But I think um, just giving them the kind of putting some, that's why putting some of the meat on the bones of their character I think kind of gets them thinking straight away and starting to think questions about the world. And then they might ask like, well, okay, so my character is a member of this group apparently, or was rather, does that mean this or does that mean that? And I think it sort of gets them thinking, but I I am one of those more traditional GMs. I think that likes to have the world, the world is on the GM's corner, if you like. Right. And the players are exploring that world. Um, and I think when I'm a player, I kind of prefer that as well. I like to think that the world is almost like a self-contained inside the GM's head and we're kind of exploring that world rather than doing a collaborative storytelling thing. Sure. Well, yeah. to get your inspiration for your games, mate, um, it's kind of a it's, a, it's a weird place you've gone to here. It's a really good <laughs> place, but it is weird. And, and that's great. And I love it. What, what, what game inspiration have you taken from? You obviously started with OD&D. And, and swiftly moved away from that. I think it's it's barely a skeleton, and that's fine. What, what else you've got in here? Because I can see elements of other things. What what do you play when you're not writing Electric Bastion Land? Ah, well, the, the the problem is because I'm always testing something new. I don't often play many other games, but I do read lots <laughs> of other games. Um, so in terms of inspiration for this uh, one, the big one is obviously uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Hmm. I mean, that was the first RPG that I. Um, owned, I believe. Um, I owned it for a long time before I ever played an RPG. Um, I sort of, like so many people in the UK, I think I started with Warhammer Tabletop and sort of at at one of the Games Day um, events in Birmingham at the NEC, um, probably in the mid-90s. I saw this huge book, and at the time I'd played sort of Warhammer Quest, which was obviously more like a board game, really. Um, Saw this huge book, and I thought, I didn't realize games came with a book this huge and sort of all the all the character backgrounds and all the weird um, things that you could end up with and weird uh, corruption rules and weird injuries you could get. Um, that really stuck with me. So I think that is probably the number one 
inspiration and also just the frustration that I felt with that system because I liked so much about it. Mm. But then whenever I tried to play it, it just, for my style, it just felt like it was fighting me every step of the way because mm. the combat was, for my taste, the combat was slow. As you can probably tell from this game, I'm very impatient when it comes to getting through <laughs> encounters. <laughs> I like to get through lots of encounters in one night. So Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay always felt slow to me and it felt it felt random, felt swingy, which some people loved. But that is probably the single biggest um, inspiration. And then other than that, I mean, I, one of the big ones, um, I've been playing more sort of video games than other RPGs. Mm-hmm. And just the sort of the more explorative games. So like uh, Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild was was pretty big because that was a big sort of AAA game that was focused on exploration and relatively simple mechanics mm. and sort of not about skill trees and um, sort of gaining new powers, really. It was just about exploring a world. And obviously I already kind of did that with Into the Odd, but it just kind of made me realize, you know, you could take that and there was a there was a demand for that sort of game, I think. And with the people you've worked with as well, um, in your credits list, you've got some names that listeners to the show will know and yep. some names that maybe some guys won't know as well. But that community that you were talking about earlier on G+, some of which has migrated to other places now, yeah, that community has always kind of uh, lived off each other's stuff and contributed and built and escalated on people's ideas. It, 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 how much of this is you and how much of it have you pinched me? <laughs> <laughs> um I do love pinching stuff. Uh, I'm sure there is some that I've pinched in here, but um, I think, like you say, so I've got the, there's a few, uh, a couple of these careers in here are written by Patrick Stewart of um, sort of Deep Carbon Observatory, Veins of the Earth, that sort of thing, and Arnold Kemp, uh, who writes at Goblin Punch. Mm. Um, so I got those two guys uh, to do a couple of sort of guest entries, and I think the thing about that community, which is a real shame that G Plus is gone because it's it's definitely changed the sort of the fabric of that community um, for better or worse, let's say. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, the, the sort of blogging side of it hmm. is I think been a huge factor because I think if I sat down to write this book from cover to cover, I couldn't have done it because so much of it is based on stuff that I wrote in blog posts. Hmm. So like I would, I would think, Oh, I want to do a, an adventure set in the underground, which is sort of like the cross between the tube network in London and sort of unnatural caves that run sort of underneath time and space. Um, so I wrote a blog post about that and tried to sort of come up with a few novel ideas on that. And it was kind of a self-contained thing. And I never thought that would sort of make it into a book. Um, but then I've sort of pieced those bits and pieces together into sort of something more coherent Mm. So I think it's the it's the blogging side of it that was probably the biggest influence. I'm trying to think of who I stole from now. I'm I'm, I'm I do love stealing <laughs> stuff, but I can't I can't think. I think I'm I think I'm completely original. Um, you, you might be clean, yeah. I am. Might. I'm completely clean. I think more yeah. people have stolen from me than I've um, than I've been stealing from lately. <laughs> I've definitely come out come out worse from this whole internet thing. <laughs> Excellent stuff. So one of the other um, groups that you've got there is Ron Rook and Deckard, who um, obviously have. Um, the spire is there. Yeah, the speaking, big speaking of stealing ideas. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I know that um, Grant, the guys also do like one page RPGs all the time as well. Is a feature of the community inverted commas such as it is without um, 
the G plus community. Is it is it being prolific? Is it constantly doing stuff like writing blog posts that you're mentioning and always scribbling stuff down and looking at what other people do? And do you think like to be to be a, a successful producer of games in this sort of environment, you need to just be constantly doing stuff? I think that is certainly how I found things. I think I noticed more people were getting interested in what I was doing the more regularly I was writing. Right. Basically. And the more regularly I was putting out uh, new content for Into the Odd. Um, I think, so I really like the way that, um, the way that Grant does the sort of one page RPGs as a sort of regular thing. And the one thing I'm looking forward to about having this, uh, this whole project uh, done and dusted is being able to do more small little books. So going back to my roots, if you like, of doing <laughs> maybe something that's four pages and yeah. something I can put on as a PDF and sell for two pounds um, and then sort of see what sticks and try a few different things. Um, so I'm definitely looking forward to that because it's definitely felt like doing this book has been um, quite a marathon, as you can imagine. Doing um, doing 100 of these careers that each has 12 items is quite a, quite a job. I'm sure, there's, I'm sure there's lots of repetition in there. <laughs> I've tried to avoid repetition uh, for the most part. But like I say, there's lots of gruel. There's lots of wheelbarrows. Um, I think there's more than one snooker queue, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm just imagining grueling wheelbarrows now for some reason. <laughs> there must be a wheelbarrow full of gruel in here. That, that so a bit of a snooker queue seems reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and lots of weird pets as well. What's it been, about three years, maybe more? Since Into the Odd? Um, oh, I should know this. It's, it's definitely been more. I think well, was... we spoke of Dragomy. I scrolled back. It was December 2017, and... Um... And into the odd had done the rounds by then. Well, you did your um, you you were one of the first guys onto the um, onto the bandwagon really uh, with mm. your your podcast. I'd, I'd say that probably started the whole phenomenon off. Wow. Um, really, so would I. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I remember thinking we full of gruel. <laughs> yeah, that that must have been it. Must have been 2015, 20, maybe twenty fourteen. Good God, man! What have you been doing with yourself? I've been very slow. It, it's it's the kind of thing where <laughs> the first ninety percent is easy. And uh, <laughs> tell me about it. Yeah, so getting I've I've had a um a very rough version of this for definitely years now. I mean, I'm sat with a printed copy in front of me, and rather embarrassingly, on the front it says Dragon Meat 2018 Preview. Wow. which was December December 2018 and um if all goes well we should I'm hoping that I'll have a copy in my hands for December 2019. So what's the idea Kickstarter next I think right? Yeah so we're finalizing the date for the Kickstarter but it will certainly be soon and um cuz one thing I really wanted to do was make sure things were done before the Kickstarter started. So it's not going to be one of these Kickstarters where you fund it and then you get your book a year later. Um so the book is essentially done for the most part, pending art. Uh, that's, the, that's the big thing that's going to be coming in um, and sort of lots of little tweaking and editing. Hmm. But yeah, the Kickstarter is going to be, we've got a few surprises in there for sort of nice lofty goals and so on. But, um, but aside from anything else, it is going to be one book because I, I see these Kickstarter campaigns where they have stretch goals for bookmarks and chessboards and rubber dinghies and so on like and that's exactly what i want to avoid because at the end of the day it's going to be one book and it might end up if we hit some stretch goals it might be a incredibly beautiful lavish book but um it's going to be one book definitely i want to uh, back it at the wheelbarrow level i think that's where i'm going (laughs) i want to pledge 500 quid so that you can come around my house and hand deliver it on a pillow (laughs) however that works (laughs) 
Well, you know what the shipping fees are like on Kickstarter, so it might be the... Uh... Yeah, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Put a box on your back and go around the rail network. Oh, well, I'm well up for that. That sounds great. <laughs> so there's quite... You've got... You did mention briefly the kind of addendum at the back, which yes. has got uh, literally all sorts in there, from uh, aliens to um, <laughs> all kinds of things. Like It does feel like kitchen sink type stuff. Did um, like, I'm wondering which way around that came. Did that feel like it was a, a chore to come up with enough randomly odd stuff or was it really easy because you just picked loads of things <laughs> just like whatever came in your head you wrote down i mean i mostly picked things that i'd already either had a half written idea for or i'd written it on the blog or i'd done it as like a post on g plus that i hadn't expanded so it was all it was all things that i'd posted and had had, had, had some sort of positive response um and i really went back and forth on whether to include it because i wanted to have this kind of like i say the, the purity of saying that there's no there's no big pages of text here. It's all, it's all designed to be very. You open it up and it's it's bullet points and it's clear and it's it's very minimal. Um, and you know you're going to create your own vision of this setting. But lots of people were saying that some sample content would be sort of useful. Yeah. So yeah, you've got you've got all sorts of odd things in there. Um, some of it is sort of extra extra guidance for the GM. Um, that I think is going to be useful. But then, yeah, like you say, you've got weird things like that. I think the alien dojos are the stupidest thing I've ever written. <laughs> um, <laughs> sort of gimmicky gimmicky fighting styles that involve like physical manipulation of the dice and kind of dexterity games to get extra results. So I would never include that in the game, but I couldn't resist putting it in there as a kind of optional uh, silly thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's essentially the dumping ground for stuff that shows, look, if you want to take this game and run with it and come up with some weird twist on it i'm doing that so it's fair game like don't feel like it, you have to keep it pure you know do whatever you like and if your group likes silly dice games um alongside their rpg then then do something silly cool i'm intrigued by some of the stuff you were saying before chris about um you're one of those gms that likes to have the world prepared or at least in your head your side of the screen do you think it's possible to do published adventures for bastion land I think you could. I think what I like is I like the idea that it's not necessarily all prepared, but it's at least, I think it's the impartiality that I like. Hmm. So the sort of the worst thing I hate is when you, you're playing a game and you have a choice of like, right, you can go left or right. And whichever way you go, you kind of feel like you're going down the same, the same road. You're going where the GM wants you to go. Mm -hmm. So what I like the, the sort of the balance for me is kind of sketching out a rough idea of the map of the wherever you're exploring, and even if you just put two words on there, um, you know you've you've put something there, so you are exploring a real place. If that that place already exists before the players get there, if that mm -hmm. makes sense, even if it's not fully fleshed out. So I kind of do that through um, one of my things that I'm going to apply a, a patent patent application for is uh, this idea of spark tables, which are kind of scattered throughout the book. So spark tables are essentially you roll 2d20 and you get sort of two words, if you like, that just give you a spark for that part of the world. So I've done, I've, I'm always talking about Deep Bastion. So if I go to Deep Country, uh, does one of you have 2d20? Absolutely. So if you were exploring Deep Country and um, you're running the game and you want to have a village, yeah. um, you might roll, you might not have an idea for that village yet, but you could roll 2d20 and your result would be? Okay. Uh, I've got a 13 and a 19. 
So 13 and a 19 gives me bog and grudge. Bog grudge. So it could be the grudge bog or a bog grudge. morning after a vindaloo. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so immediately that just gives you something to work from. It's just a spark. It's not It's not a finished product, but even if on the map you literally write down bog grudge or grudge bog probably sounds better, um, then when the players get there, you might have in the back of your head been thinking about this and it's there. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's, I, I don't for a minute expect GMs to like map out their world in every detail. Hmm. But I sort of like the idea that it's that it exists before the players get there. Sure, um, one it's of the Wallace things... and Gromit thing, isn't it? Where you're laying the tracks out just ahead of the train. Yeah, definitely. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> one of the things that I was uh, doing when I was play testing my game a lot was obviously running adventures, and the adventures that I was running off were my notes uh, mm. for a game that nobody could read, much like you've been doing for the last couple of years. You see, so. The weird thing is that now I'm in a position where I want to be putting some adventures out there, and it turns out to be quite tough to write yeah. these things down for other people to use. And when I look at Electric Bastion Land, I'm thinking, one thing I probably can't do is pull an old AD&D module off the shelf and reskin it. Oh, Maybe yeah. I can. I don't know. But, I mean, this looks like the kind of place where you're going to have to really lean into the imagination and the tools that you give the reader, of which there yeah. are plenty. But, you know, your old library probably isn't going to get you there, do you think? I mean, I, I've just realised now that I didn't answer your question at all, and I'm aware I've been doing that for the last uh, hour. I'm thinking of a career well, in politics. I think it's... Uh... We'll, keep, we'll keep asking you questions. So answer, right? <laughs> you can keep pack spinning me if, if I don't answer. <laughs> just keep going at it. Um, so, yeah, in terms of running a, an old like um, TSR adventure or something, I I think you could do it, but I think what you can't do and what I try and... What I get asked about quite a lot is a conversion guide for sort of D&D to into the odd really for that? yeah well i say quite a lot not like in the street but when is the conversion guide coming out i'm sick of trying to start up this beholder um so i think what you can do is if it's a good solid evocative adventure um you can you can probably run it in into the odd because or electric bastion land because the mechanics are simple enough that you should be able to come up with stats for a monster on the fly, mm-hmm. or you should be able to come up with a spell effect on the fly because that there's not because there's not so many cogs that are all connected that you're not going to. It's quite hard to break the game. It's quite hard to accidentally make a monster that is completely unfeasible mm-hmm. for the game, or to make a monster that is, uh, or to make a spell that's completely overpowered. It's 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 quite robust because it's so simple, if you like. So I think you could do it, but you'd probably just ignore all of the numbers in there. And you know, if you go into a room and it's um, it's sort of a, a twenty by twenty foot tomb, and there's a lich in there, and sort of um, the lich has these certain spells, I think you might just have to come up with some of the effects on the fly. But that's mm. that's what I try and do. There, there's sort of a section in here for one of the articles at the back is called something like the GM is a game designer. And yeah. it's sort of how to come up with these rules on the fly because I'd rather try and get people confident doing that than give them a conversion guide for every spell in D and D and every monster and say, well, if your beholder has seven hit dice in D and D, in Into the Odd, you've got to give it uh, fourteen hit points for it to work correctly. Because I'd rather just say, look, the beholder it's, it's defined by what it does and what makes it cool, and a lot of that isn't in the numbers. No, absolutely. Okay. Right, that's cool. 
because I'm just trying to picture myself writing, GMing this game, and there's lots and lots of stuff here. I'm just wondering how much how much I'd need to write down and how much I'd need to be free will, you know. And um, I've still not quite grappled it yet because I think some of it comes from it being on a PDF. So, you know, when you get your books sorted out, mate, send it my way. <laughs> well, I expect to see that, like, like, you know, a pledge level for you for a print version. I'll, I'll keep an eye out for that. Just a special smart party pledge level. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Limited print run of two. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I think I think I have, it is going to be one of these ones where if I was looking at this externally, I, I'm not trying to put people off buying it on PDF for a minute, but I think because of the way that the spreads are laid out, yeah. It's very, very much designed the idea of you've got it in front of you in print. Yeah, agreed. Um, and, you know, a chunky size tablet would probably do the job. But, um, but yeah, you, you've got to sort of, everything is designed around two-page spreads. Um, there's there's no overlap. Each two pages is kind of self-contained. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's the goal. So for minimal flipping around at the table. Yeah, and it's moved from back pocket to backpack. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about your um, your question about Adventures and stuff, Baz. And, Did and, he answer it yet? Yeah. No, he didn't. I'm going to do it for him. Just to... <laughs> no, I think this 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 sort of game and the, the the sort of thing that this brings to mind for me. So I don't know whether you saw. I did a little um, one sheet adventure for Warhammer because of that thirty to fifty feral mugs uh, hogs. That man, <laughs> yeah. that's going around. So I created a, a Warhammer adventure for that, and I just did a little table for myself in there of like who the patrons of the pub might be. And it was three D10s, and you, there's obviously 10 different options of three different columns to tell you who it was and what they were doing. Mm. And I enjoyed that sort of thing. And I think this sort of game, to me, feels like one that you make up a bit on yourself on the fly, even if the players don't know ahead what you're rolling for or whatever. I think some of the interest for me is that I'd make my own little tables and roll on it to work out myself what was happening to keep it interesting as a GM. Because mm. it doesn't feel like a game that you have a big 64-page module that you've reread or you've read it and reread it in advance. It feels like something that you yourself want to be exploring along with the players. Oh yeah. So, so to create an adventure, I'd probably be having themed little tables, either your spark tables or something differently. And you know, if you were going down, I don't know, into um, the factory district or whatever it is, I'd probably come up with some little tables for the factory district myself ahead of the session. Oh, definitely. And then, yeah. and then those are the players are just uh, sort of exploring. I might start rolling some dice to see what the next feature would be or that sort of thing. So I think that's how you write an adventure is you put themed options into tables or bullet points and you have them in that you can go through at the table to, and that's how you create your adventure. So you might have a an idea that they're going to go from several points chasing someone, but what those points might actually look like, you decide either just before or at the table as you roll some dice and, and look at your little themed tables you create for yourself. But that's, that's how I'd approach this game anyway. I mean, the advice that I give when you're sort of preparing the game is to have your map on ideally like an A3 sheet, ideally, mm-hmm. um, and sort of put as many of your notes as you can on the map and then have a sheet for overflow information if you need it. But ideally use that. And like I like to use like a big white, um, white clean sort of whiteboard thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that that that's how I tend to prep things. And that's how I like to run. So it's almost like just a scaled up version of the one page dungeon, really. Yeah, because I find well, I find an A4 sheet is just a little bit too tight for me most of the time to fit stuff on. Whenever I try to do one page dungeon, I find it just a little bit too small. So keeping it to a, an A3 page, I think you can fit pretty much everything you need on. Certainly for at least a session, it's and just if, getting confident, make expanding, sort of putting the meat on the bones as you go. Yeah, and I think there's a little bit of crossover to something like 
fate, for example, whereas if you if you're playing the game with an A3 sheet, uh, a blank one to start with on the table for the players, you can put what would be uh, aspects and stuff in fate. You can put notes on the table. So you don't need to have a, a map of the city or a map of the district or whatever it is you're doing. You can just kind of like hand draw that out sketchily. Yeah, yeah. And just have your, you know, your points of interest and then you can vaguely like sketch in some neighbourhoods or whatever else you want around it. But it's the interesting things you care about. So you, you can write notes and things or the name of whoever it is that you're after or, or, or some other interesting feature and just get people to scroll it on the piece of paper yeah. to build up like the map of your game. So by the time you finish the session, you've got your A3 poster of this is what we played tonight, which I think is cool. And I mean, it's kind of heresy to some people, I'm sure, but I quite like just putting the map in the middle of the table. Yeah. Um, especially if, obviously, I wouldn't do that if it had the contents of every room drawn out in there. But if you've got your map of Deep Country and, you know, we had the Grudge Bog and you've just got that on the map, it, it's, not, it's not enough information that the players don't need to go there, but it's enough that they're like, well, okay, what's there? Should we, should we go look at that? Yeah. And I think, like I said about with new players, just having that physical thing in front of them, rather than saying, like, where do you go? You can go in any direction, north, south, east, west. Um, just having that map in front of them. It's giving them a bit of more something to give them a bit of a spark for where to go if they've got a few things to choose from. Yeah, that's a terrific idea. Yeah, players are really weird about maps. I found <laughs> the, the, uh, that they want to see where things are, even if there's no information. Like you say, even if you just put something down and there's green for fields and blue for rivers, and you put six dots on it. They think that the dots are a place to go. There might not even be a name associated with them, but they think, well, there's something over here. <laughs> you don't know what I mean? Like, there's nothing. Yeah, yeah. Like, with very little information, players suddenly get engaged by maps and, want, and like, oh, but we've got to cross a river if we go into that dot. And that, you know, the things just, it, it sparks imagination somehow, even with very little detail. Yeah, no, it's fact, almost like less information the better because. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. If, if it's a wiggly blue line on a map, you, you know, they're probably imagining something better than. I could draw if I tried to draw a real river on the map. <laughs> <laughs> and if it turns out to be, I don't know, a huge electric snake or something that's come from yeah, the river, yeah. when it, and then all the better. It's a grudge bug. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's upset that someone's stolen his bug. Just to be <laughs> he's hunting for it. <laughs> I am conscious that uh, at the minute, because this is a, a pre-release special that we've got, that the art's largely just big red boxes. What can you tell us about the art that's going to be in there and the artist? Yeah, so working with um, Luca Rett, who's um, you might know from Ultraviolet Grasslands mm-hmm. um, and all sorts of stuff, especially within the sort of the, the OSR umbrella. Um, he's done sort of quite a lot of art. He's, he's a machine, essentially. <laughs> um, and the style I'm going for is quite different. Um, so I think on the PDF I gave you, there should be some um, some little bits of art scattered throughout um, some of the careers uh, to give you a sort of idea. So it's we're going. Um, what I wanted to do is I didn't want because because you could potentially read this and see that you've got all these street urchins and sort of very sort of downtrodden failed careers and think that it's a bleak setting um, or a grim dark setting if you like, and that's really not how it's meant to be it's more it's more sort of in the vein of like black humor rather than you know this is something where you go to read this to be depressed hmm. um <laughs> so the art kind of reflects that in that it's going to be quite kind of i hesitate to call it bright but kind of like a bit more kind of uh lively than you might expect and a bit more sort of upbeat in style and what i want to do is i want to have characters that evoke something about the setting but it's still enough of a blank slate that it's not your sort of uh your Pathfinder super detailed art 
where you know this is the iconic warlock character and it looks like a renaissance painting or something <laughs> um so it's sort of I, I hesitate to call it cartoony because that's sort of doing it a bit of a disservice but it's sort of in that kind of almost like iconic style mm. where it's um it's going to be leaving leaving lots of gaps for the imagination i didn't know i was gonna to have to describe art this is not my area at all yeah, we're going to get into dance of architecture in a minute as well. It's quite <laughs> difficult to show it in the format we use for podcasting. That's the trouble. Yeah, yeah. But the, uh, the, for, for the cover, the one thing I was um, quite happy with when we, we sort of felt like a eureka moment when me and Luca were discussing it was sort of, uh, I've always loved the Where's Wally books. <laughs> and um, for the because we've got these sort of 100 characters, 100 failed careers, I thought, could we have all 100 of them on the cover? Like a kind of Where's Wally crowd scene of Bastion? That's awesome. And I don't think we're going to get all 100 in. <laughs> Luke is probably panicking if he's hearing this. But I think um, we're, we're going to try and get as many in as we can um, into like a big sort of where's Wally meets L.S. Lowry um, is, the, is the pitch that I've gone for. Nice. Where's Lowry? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> cool. So you must have been through uh, quite a bit of play testing with this. Has there been... Like what's what's been a surprising or interesting moment for you? Because I guess if you this is the sort of thing you bring to a table, and then all sorts comes out when you're actually there. So is there anything, any like war stories you've got of stuff that you're doing when you were playing this, and you thought you had like moments of inspiration, or the players did something exciting or interesting, or you perhaps you surprised yourself? Yeah, so it's been the the, the co- sort of core of the system is basically still into the odd. So the the main thing that I've been testing is seeing how well I can sort of get the setting into people's heads without giving them a big page full of text. So it's been more about seeing how people respond to the setting without me sort of telling them everything about about the world, if you like. Hmm. And um, like I say, the, the main thing I've found really interesting is playing with lots of new players at this um, at the sort of club I go to in, in Manchester. Um, it seems like they, they pick it up really quickly. Even if they've come and they they come to what they thought is a board game night, and then they sort of stumble into a role playing game, um, they sort of they sort of pick it up really quickly. The the one thing that's been sort of uh, controversial, if you like, in terms of changes from Into the Odd, is it's it's a bit of a weird nitty gritty change. But when you when you sort of roll, the way you roll damage is slightly different. So that when it used to be that when you sort of ganged up on one opponent. Uh, you all rolled your damage separately and you sort of each take your turn attacking this creature mm. or the target. But now it's uh, anyone that's stacking the same target or if you're attacking with multiple weapons, you roll all the dice together and keep the single highest result. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And that is mainly there because there were a few instances in the original Into the Yard where you could just get, if you if you got ganged up on, it was extremely effective. <laughs> which, yeah. is, which is great when you were multiple player characters trying to take down some sort of big monster. You could just sort of bum rush it and completely knock it down to zero HP before before it had a chance to do anything. Um, so it's the one thing that I've done that's kind of a bit of a, a nitty gritty change, and it's quite interesting that I've already seen a few people give feedback saying like they don't like it and they're going to stick with the old version. Right. So I'm kind of I'm expecting there's edition wars like, already. Yeah, there's edition wars <laughs> before I've even done a second book. <laughs> Finally made it. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's you know it's it, it's valid. There's 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 um, benefits to both methods, and this is the one I've decided to go with. But um, you know, I, I make I make literally one change to the mechanics, and it's already splintering the 
splintering the fan base. <laughs> <laughs> this is what you get when you've only got four mechanics in the whole game. That's a quarter of the mechanics. Yeah. Well, when you've only really got four fans as well, it's, uh... <laughs> it's a quarter of the fan base. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's it, overall that the feedback has been uh, really good from the playtest, and we did sort of a public um, public playtest release, um, well, two of them actually, and and it's it's been it's been pretty positive, I'd say. Um, I think because the concern is always that no one cares about the world that you've got in here, and mm. it's easy to make a very nice light system that people like because it's nice and quick and light. But when you're sort of putting out your your own imagination, if you like, and the the sort of world that you've created. That's the bit that's I find most difficult to get feedback on almost. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because it, it's it's hard. It, someone can tell you if like, oh, we, we rolled the dice and it didn't feel quite right. But if people don't like your setting, they'll kind of just not mention it, I think. And they'll just see it as a bit of a, a bit of baggage that comes with it. But people seem to have really responded well to the sort of Bastion land setting and the sort of uh the sort of time shift forward, if you like, to the sort of early ni- early twentieth century. So that's probably been the biggest surprise. How well that's been received? Yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, you know, what people are like we do it all the time on this podcast. You can't help but talk about systems. It's like the language that we have. Oh yeah, um, and you know, and you get words like fluff for background. It's a word I hate because it's like you know how disparaging <laughs> is that? But or even just calling it background for that matter. It's not the background. It's the entire game. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Um, I love I love what you've done. And last time Gaz and I played Into the Odd in Any Seriousness, we did some actual plays. We got quite a few people involved. It spurred us on to generate some content as well, which is still lurking in a few hard drives somewhere, I think. Um, there's not many games get to do that for you. And the idea of having uh, the the kind of the, the metal and the diesel and the electricity layered on top of what's essentially Wizards and Barbarians yeah. is really cool. It's a lovely mix, and it, it definitely spurs the imagination. Oh, great. Cool. So if there's going to be uh, loads of adoring fans and things like that, I, I guess hopefully for you uh, the Kickstarter will uh, resolve itself before the end of the year, but um, Dragon Meat will be coming up at the end of the year as well. Are you going to be there again for your adoring hordes to come and speak to you about it again? <laughs> I will definitely be at Dragon Meat. I'm hoping to stay overnight this time and uh, enjoy the debauchery I keep hearing about um, after, the, after the show. I normally <laughs> dash off before all that kicks off. I'm hoping to do the full one this year. Um, uh, yeah, it's 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 always it's always great to go to to Dragon Meat. I think it's sort of that one of the UK Games Expo are the two that I do each year now. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, Dragon Meat definitely has sort of a bit of a special feeling. I think about it for the for the role playing side of things. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a good meetup. I think I don't know if it's because it's close to Christmas or something as well. I know the Christmas shoppers there, but it feels like everybody's converging in the capital to talk about games and hang out, which has just got a nice feel to it. Yeah, definitely. I think the UK Games Expo is sort of a big spectacle. Yeah. I kind of like the Dragon Meet is, um, well, I'm sure you guys remember when it was much, much smaller. You know, <laughs> yeah. back, in the, back in the 70s, obviously, it was must, must have been quite a quite a different affair. But for, for me, it still feels quite small and it like... Uh, like you say, it feels like meeting up with people, even though I'll know a fraction of the people there. It feels more like a meetup. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it will be going this year. It'll be good to um, to shake hands again and have a beer. And yeah, lovely. Last time we did that, I think we talked for about two hours. I was so desperate for a wee at the end of it. It was, really <laughs> it was the only thing that cut the podcast short. It was the fastest <laughs> I've seen someone move. I know, especially <laughs> at this age. <laughs> 
Right. Well, it's been brilliant to have you on, Chris. I'm aware that we're about time. So um, uh, thanks for coming on. We'll obviously spread the word to our glorious listeners as soon as we uh, hear news of a Kickstarter so they can rush you with their 1D6 pounds to try and back the game. <laughs> Lovely. Thank you very much. Cheers, Chris. <laughs>